after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's quite loud. I think we've had some really lovely singing this morning, so I'm going to see if I can challenge um, those who sang today. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Actually, it is a very lovely time, isn't it? Most wonderful time of the year. It's a time of the year where most of us look forward to winding down the year's activities. The Christmas tree goes up, the decoration box comes down out of hibernation, um, the, our, our credit cards get busy, the shops are buzzing, the smiths down the street have put up decorations to beat everybody on the street, and it's time when everybody's excited, looking forward to the break. Some families are looking forward to spending time together, eating meals together, exchanging gifts, playing games, chilling out, and so on and so forth. Now, depending on where you're coming from, you will have your typical native cuisine you know, on the menu. One thing I'm sure everyone in this country will have on the menu is Brexit. <laughs> now, let's assume it's Christmas morning, okay, and your family's up. Mom and dad are cooking a nice meal. One thing, sorry, I've come back. Mom and dad are cooking a nice meal. The kids are setting the table. The meal is ready, and by noon, everyone is at the table eating. After eating, we get some games, we play some games, it's dinner time, we eat dinner as well, um, we exchange pleasantries and then go off to bed. What is missing? Anyone? What's missing? Excellent, presents, the gifts. You're right, there are no gifts. See, the culture of giving gifts during Christmas is as old as Christmas itself. Gifts are an integral part of Christmas. Technically, it's impossible to have Christmas without gifts. I'm not referring to the modern, materialistic, commercialized culture of exchanging expensive gifts. No. Instead, I'm referring to our passage today, where the Magi gave gifts and received gifts in return. Now, 
to look at this, our, our passage today, we want to look at the passage on the two main topics or in two main points. The first is a gift for the king, and the second is a gift from the king. A gift for the king and a gift from the king. So let's start with the first one, a gift for the king. In verse 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 2, which, um, which has just been read, we are told that baby Jesus is born in Bethlehem of Judea. At his birth, there is a reigning monarch or a reigning king, King Herod. Now, we have to know that at this point in time, King Herod was a very, very paranoid person, and he was a psychopath. He didn't care getting rid of anyone who crossed his path, not even his favorite wife or his two sons. He murdered them. He was not a safe person to be around, talk less, to upset. In our story, we are told that the Magi came from the east to King Herod, and they came with a request. Now, we have to remember these Magi are foreign dignitaries, very clever people who had skills to read the stars. They came with a request, and their request was, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, wait a minute. I thought he was just speaking to Herod, king of the Jews. That's quite confusing. How could they go to the reigning king and ask him where they would find another king? It didn't make sense. But the thing is, everybody knew that Herod was not the one they were looking for. Because Herod was made king, he was not born king. So everybody knew it wasn't Herod. Herod himself knew. Now to add salt to injury, they continued their plea with these words. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What? Did you see that? They came to Herod, Herod of all people, and they said, hello Herod, you know what? We recognize you are not the king. And we've come to see another king. Oh, by the way, the other king deserves our worship, not you. That's what they were saying. That was an insult and insanely suicidal. I mean, Herod, in his elements, would have had them killed instantly. But what happened? He was disturbed, and rightly so. His throne was threatened. He felt insecure. What would Herod do? Well... He thought of a plan, so he hatched a very dubious plan. If only he could help this major locate the baby king, perhaps the major will return the favor by showing him where the baby king is. Um, and then, once he finds the baby king, he could strike, get rid of the baby king, and perhaps get rid of the Magi too. So in verse 4 to 6, he called together the priests and the people who studied the scriptures and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, who talked about Messiah here? Anyway, the people understood him, and they said, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod called the Magi secretly and asked them to go and look for this baby child, king, wherever he was, and ordered them to search carefully until they found him. Once they found him, they are supposed to report to him so that he could go and worship too. Wait a minute. Was Herod really going to worship this baby king? Definitely not. I don't think so. In verse 9 to verse 16 of Matthew 2, which we won't see on the screen, um, when Herod realized that the Magi did not come back because they were warned in the dream not to come back, he was upset. Guess what he did? He made sure every child born in Bethlehem and his vicinity who was under two was murdered. Every single child. That's how crazy that man was. 
Anyway, for me, the climax of the story comes when the Magi came to the house where the baby was. We are told in verse 11 that when they saw the child with his mother, they bowed down and worshipped. They bowed down and worshipped. I think we've sung so many songs like that today about bowing down and worshipping. They give gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts fit for a king. Their mission was accomplished. I know we've heard this story quite a number of times, but after reading it just recently, I realized these major were really strange people. And I tell you, I give you three reasons why I think they are strange. They embarked on a long journey to see a baby. Who does that? I mean, they were foreign dignitaries. They could have sent servants, but they chose to go. They did it themselves. They came. The second strange thing I see with these Magi is they left Herod, that's rejected Herod, in all his glory to seek a baby in a manger. That's, that, that, that is strange. They sought Jesus carefully until they found him. They sought him. Then the third strange thing is they came, bowed down, worshipped, and gave gifts. These actions are signs of profound respect, reverence, and adoration. To bow down to someone means to recognize that the person is far bigger and greater than you. These were foreign dignitaries, and that was a baby. But they recognized that he, the baby, deserved their worship, and they worshiped. That was strange as well. Now, dear friends, these three strange characteristics of the Magi is what our passage is calling us to observe this Christmas. They came to worship. We all have to make our individual journeys to Jesus. The King Jesus, not the baby. No one can make this journey for anyone or on anyone's behalf. What journey do you have to make to see Jesus? For some of us, to see Jesus, we have to make the journey from our heads to our hearts. We have to let what we know about Jesus sink deep into our hearts. For some of us, the journey we have to make is to go past our doubts. What are the doubts hindering you from taking steps to Jesus? For some of us, the journey is simply to read the Bible and find out, investigate for ourselves, who is this Jesus they are talking about, and carefully seek him, find him, and I believe we will find him. No matter the nationality you have, or your political affiliation, or your back, cultural background, if you seek Jesus diligently, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart, like the Magi did. Secondly, they rejected Herod in his glory and sought Jesus. Unless you reject King Herod in your life, you will not be able to see Jesus. Unless we reject the Herods in our life, we won't be able to see Jesus. Please, don't let us settle for King Money, or King Comfort, or King Career, or King Fame, or King Pleasure. These things are good, but when, if they become kings in our lives, we are in big trouble, because they will leave us physically exhausted, they will leave us emotionally bankrupt, they will leave us inwardly deprived, dissatisfied, and empty. Finally, the Magi brought gifts. Sometimes people come to Jesus for what they can get, not what they can give. And there is nothing wrong with that. 
It's not a bad thing at all. In Matthew 11:28, we are told, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. So Jesus invites us to come to him for something. That's a good thing. But in return, the kingly gift we can give Jesus is actually the most expensive thing we've got. What is the most expensive thing you've got? Someone will say, oh, my car, because I bought it yesterday, and it cost me so, so grand. That's not the most expensive thing you've got. Your heart. What would you give in exchange of your heart, your soul, your being you? That is the most expensive thing we've got. And the Magi were careful. They poured their hearts out because they risked their life with Herod, took that long journey, bowed down. Now, how do we give our hearts to Jesus? By trusting him and believing that indeed he is the king God sent and also obeying him. And his commands are simple. Love God, love your neighbor. Trusting and obeying. Dear friends, I challenge you to be like the Magi this Christmas. Could you make that journey to Jesus? Could you reject the lesser kings in your life and welcome the true king? Could you believe in and worship the true king, giving him your life? Now, one may be think, or one would think, what would be my reward for seeking and worshiping Jesus? The Magi got nothing from it. I would get nothing from it. It's not worth it. Well, Jesus offers far more than we could ever imagine. Far, far more than we could ever imagine. The Magi got untold joy, we are told in the passage, and also everlasting fame, because you are reading about them today, we'll read about them next year, and on and on. For us, Jesus promises many gifts too, many, many gifts. So let's turn our passage, our attention to the second passage in Micah, and to the second point as well, which is a gift from the king. Kids love birthday parties. Four years ago, my wife and I took our daughters to a birthday party. Um, while the kids were having fun, we, the adults, were waiting anxiously to leave because we just couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> I mean, they were having fun, they were eating, and we were just watching them. <laughs> You know, how annoying was that? Anyway. <laughs> the elder, our elder daughter, Michelle, wanted to go for her face painted, but she was so scared to do it. And I was thinking, who would be scared of face painting? Anyway, after failing to persuade her, I gave up. And I was so disappointed, because I couldn't believe anyone would be scared of brushes going down their faces. But to my surprise, just before the party was over, there sat my daughter with brushes running up and down her face. She had a beautiful butterfly painted on her face, as you can see on the screen. What an appropriate image it was. She slowly broke out of her cocoon of fear, beating her doubts and developing wings of bravery. In addition to the, to the tangible gifts she got, which you can hold, see, in her, see in her hands, she had an intangible gift of bravery as well. Now, upon reflection, I got an intangible gift too. What was that? Patience. I learned a valuable lesson that changed my relationship with my daughter. Because of that event, I know that any time she's faced with new things, I just have to give her time to warm up. And it's worked. It's worked in church. She didn't like coming up front or doing anything. But anytime you give her time to warm up, she will warm up and even do it far better. That was an intangible gift I got from that birthday party. Christ is...
Go ahead, Sarah. Oh, yes. We can hear now. That's loud. So Christmas is Jesus' birthday party. Jesus himself is a gift to us. It's a gift to the world. That's why I said gifts are an integral part of Christmas. Jesus presents us with intangible gifts too. Now in verse 4 to 5a of our second passage in Micah, some of the gifts we see are patience and guidance and protection, which is he being our shepherd. But then we also see other gifts, which is security and peace. Now, if I have to go through all these gifts, it's going to take us a very, very long time. But I'm just going to look at one of them, which is peace. Peace, for some of us, is an elusive word, isn't it? It's like one of those words which you know what it means, but it's very difficult to describe or explain or define. It's like love. How do you explain love? Now, peace is something we talked about last week. Mike preached on it. And um, in Isaiah 9, 6, we see that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Mike said peace is shalom. It's, it's, um, the, the Hebrew version is shalom, which means the wholeness or completeness or fullness of mind, body, and estate. So it's more than just the absence of war and conflict, far more than that. It's the wellness and the wholeness of one's being. Now, who on earth won't want peace? Everybody wants peace. You would agree with me that we need peace in our homes, parents and children. We need peace in our extended families, uncles, aunties, nephews, and so on and so forth. We need peace in our communities, which are so plagued with social injustice. We need peace in this country in such crucial times. We need peace in the world with many unsafe leaders, in individually, we need peace. We need peace in our hearts. It's something we all need. The big question is, where does it come from? Where do we get peace? Most religious leaders and philosophers will tell us to look inward. Peace is within. Just dig deep, you will find it. Is that really true? Can we find the peace that surpasses all understanding in ourselves? Certainly not. Our passage tells us peace is a person, Jesus. Well, as we see on the screen, Micah 5, 5a tells us, he will be our peace. That's Micah prophesying before the birth of Jesus. Who is this he? The solution is in verse 2 to 3, which we read earlier. Jesus is the peace. And then in the New Testament, which is the later part of the Bible, we read in Ephesians that, when Jesus had died, risen, and ascended, he was referred to as being our peace. He is our peace, as you can see in Ephesians um, passage on the screen. Now, how can Jesus be our peace, a person, be our peace? Dear friends, we live in a broken world. We've all done some wrong in one way, shape, or form. We've hurt people, all of us, without exception, have wronged God. Our actions deserve punishment. They do. But God, loving us so much, sent Jesus to die on the cross to bear the punishments you and I deserve. 
He rose from the dead and he's now with God, not sitting idly, doing nothing, but he's interceding on our behalf. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God can smile on us. Jesus offered himself so that you and I can have peace with God. This is why he is our peace. He paid that price so we can have peace with God. Now, peace with God is not the kind of peace you can forge on the anvil of human endeavor. No, you cannot find it within yourself. You can only find it in Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the descendants of the Magi have peace with God. All of us gathered here can have peace with God, no matter our background. It will be an error to celebrate Jesus' birthday, that's Christmas, without having him, the gifts given to the world, or the peace he offers us. This Christmas, if you make that journey to Jesus, if you seek him diligently and you give your heart to him, I promise you, I promise you, you will have peace that money cannot buy. You will have peace with God. He is our peace. Now, if you would like to find out more about Christianity, all this peace I'm talking about, we all have some leaflets, um, sorry, the um, feedback forms. Please, just complete the feedback form, put it in that box, and we will get in touch with you. Or you can speak to anyone who has been up here this morning, and we'll be more than happy. Grace Church will be far more than happy to explore this with you.